Welcome back. Thank you for returning with us to the Magical Realms of Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven. In this podcast, we find truth in fantastic stories. We also apply these amazing worlds to the real world where God has called us to serve. It's good to be back with you, Stephen. This is episode three, and we are exploring another book. We'll do this every so often when we find some great Christian-made novels that we've loved and that Lorehaven reviews. This story comes from Sharon Hink, and it's being released in January 2020, depending if you're hearing this in the future or the past. And it is book one of the Dancing Realm series from Enclave Publishing, but today's book is called Hidden Current. And the key theme of the book that we're going to look at today is what if dancing could control the world? That's right. We, we actually reviewed this book as part of a big cover story in Lorehaven's fall 2019 issue. The cover story focused on all of Enclave Publishing, including this title. We had a feature-length review of the book. I'm going to quote from that review. You can get the rest uh, as part of our free magazine by subscribing at lorehaven.com. Here's what the story is about. When your every foot movement and gesture literally controls your world, people will expect you to avoid any false move. But for dancer Kalara Blue, her trained pursuit of perfection has come at a terrible cost. At the center of Kalara's world, the all-powerful Order has called the best dancers to use their natural abilities to stabilize their island. Without dancers who command the storms and the island's very position, the island and its ecosystem will drift out of control. So, dancers like Kalara have pledged their lives to fulfill this high calling. Then, just as Kalara reaches her goal, she discovers that just maybe the island does not want to be controlled. Instead, she is forced into fleeing her rigid lifestyle with its every rule and religious belief that she has spent years helping to enforce. Accompanied by a mysterious fisherman, Kalara hunts for her own past and for the truth about her beautiful yet dehumanized profession and its original purpose. Okay, so Stephen, you read this book, right? I did. I read and reviewed the novel uh, for Lorehaven Magazine. Awesome. So I I haven't read this yet, but I know our special guest today has also read it, so that's going to be fun. Tell me about the ideas in this book. Uh, There's some great ideas here. I have not read many stories that actually base their key themes on the very concept of stories and art and creativity. Usually that's just assumed as a given. The story, the art, the creative expression you are reading or enjoying is good. This story actually includes that theme of the ultimate purpose of these gifts in the story it's itself. For me, that, that's an idea that makes me uh, almost want to get up and dance. Metaphorically, not literally yet. Well, we'll get to me and dancing in a moment it's, here. It's too bad we're not live streaming this on video. That would have been... I, no, I I'm not pay well, to see that. No, it's uh, it's it's definitely not uh, not something you want to pay for. Uh, <laughs> so tell me about the world of this book. I, I love the world. Uh, Sharon Hink has written fantasy for a while. Uh, this is uh, this is a really fun world to explore alongside our heroine. And uh, for fans of C.S. Lewis's uh, space opera novel Paralandra, the world may seem a little familiar. That's by design. Uh, she actually says so at the end of the book. Uh, that to me is even more enjoyable because I am a big fan of Paralandra. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's, you know, there's like the three stages of C.S. Lewis. There's, you read Mere Christianity and then 
Phase two is Narnia. And then phase three, which not a lot of people get to, is the Space Trilogy. Well, then there's a phase four where you read the third volume of the Space or Ransom or Cosmic Trilogy, That Hideous Strength, and you actually understand it. I guess I'm stuck in phase three then, but yeah, uh, I'm glad she decided to borrow from Paralandra. I'm in the middle of that book. I haven't finished it yet. Paralandra? It's a little hard to get through, to be honest. We are so going to have a Paralandra podcast once you're done. Totally. Uh, Calera Blue, that the heroine, uh, she, she spent her life going along... Uh, with what is basically a cult. Uh, and uh, Sharon Hink really did well portraying her in a way that avoided potential traps of creating a heroine who's somewhat naively wrapped up in a cult. You could get the readers yelling at her, it's obvious you're in a cult, girl. You need to get out now. I didn't feel that way reading this. Is this is the dancers? That yes. Part of well, the cult? K- Kalara herself, yes. The, it, is, it is a dance cult. There's literally a dance cult here. Uh, but I, I didn't feel... Uh, you know, put off by, by Kalara being in a cult. I felt drawn to her side. She's very sympathetic. Not only that, but uh, in real life, it can take years to break out of an abusive or manipulative environment. And even then, you will probably spend at least small bits of the rest of your life with those periods of self-doubt. Uh, stories have to accelerate the process of transitioning from one belief system to another. And uh, this story does that very well. Yeah, that that's very true. My wife and I know someone that was in a cult for a short period of time and was able to get out. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy how that whole process happens. So this this group of dancers is they have some kind of power over this world through dance, but they're not like the I don't know what what the phrase is like the powers to be. They're they're not like the government or something that's in control of this world. No, it's very much, very much a private, uh, very much a private nonprofit dance cult in this <laughs> in this fantasy world. Which I say fantasy, so but but don't think castles, knights, dragons, and such. This is a very different kind of fantasy world where dancing and creative expression are so important. And that's that's where I stopped short a little. That's where I reached the end of my experience. Uh, I didn't grow up as a dancer. I, fortunately, though, uh, we both know someone who did. And oh, hello, she's. Here in our studio today, she is my confidant, an aide to Lorehaven, and my best friend and my wife, Lacey Rhiannon Burnett, who read Hidden Current and read it twice and really liked it. So, Welcome, Lacey. And thank you. Thank you for having me. What did you like about Sharon Hink's Hidden Current, my love? I enjoyed um, all the things that y'all have already mentioned, obviously. Uh, but I also have uh, a deeper connection, having danced myself for a long time in various uh, venues. Um, the the dancing, the uh, way she wrote it was deeply meaningful for me. So now I get to do a little bit of interviewing myself. Uh, how many years did you uh, dance? It depends on what you mean. Um, I danced uh, in a school um, and was was taught professionally for a, a while by, um, uh, for I guess for about eight years um, that I danced and taught that way, but I also learned uh, the joy of dance a long time before that in church, actually. Okay. So what, when you say the joy of dance, you know, what do you mean by the joy of dance or, or the deeper meanings of this pursuit? Dance is, um, it, it has always fascinated me because it is mentioned in the Bible many, many times um, in a very positive context, and that's not something Christians talk about quite a lot, but it is um, both as worship and and as joy, um, exp- an expression of joy and celebration. It's almost even uh, uh, a prescriptive thing in many of the Psalms. Um, by prescriptive, the, we mean 
This is commanded. It's a command, yes. Let them praise his name with dancing. Um, it's put it alongside worship with instruments and uh, singing as uh, an absolutely um, good way of worshiping God. I like that. It, it's not just an optional thing. It's a required thing. Almost required, yeah. And, and, and for folks like me, uh, I'm not going to take the anti-dancing side at all here, but <laughs> for folks like me, this is not... That would get awkward. It, it definitely. would get awkward. <laughs> it, is, it is not an intuition. I, I sometimes hear the command to dance. Now, I like the commands to celebrate and make merriment and such You know, when, when we can uh, worship God in that way. But when I hear... Uh, let's all dance in the Psalms. We have some Psalms right here we're going to go through. Uh, I almost hear the same thing as do not worry ever. And I think, okay, that is entirely rational in a world that God created and controls as is his right. And ha- worry does not make us happy. Nevertheless, I hear the command and I go, That's, that is impossible. How can I fulfill this? <laughs> so uh, we have several texts that per- not only show, but tell about dancing in the Bible, tell us to do that, such as uh, Exodus fifteen twenty. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. I believe this is after the Lord has saved uh, Israel from her enemies by closing back the parted Red Sea. This is a description of dance, so when we read the Bible, we have to be careful to read a description of something, it doesn't always mean you have to do the same thing. Similarly, we see similar references in 1 Samuel 18.6 and 2 Samuel 6.14. But Lacey, let's move into the Psalms here. We, we start to get to not just descriptions of dancing, but some, uh, some commands to dance. And th- our next passage kind of is descriptive and kind of commanding at the same time. Yes, um, I love this one. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Psalm thirty eleven. Dancing is so natural for us as humans, and this is just a uh, almost a command. It, this is if you're mourning, you're not dancing. Your um, mourning affects your whole body, but so does joy. And this is a great description of that. And in the next verse, we get even more direct more prescriptive. Mm-hmm. It's a more direct command. Psalm 149.3, let them, that is the people of God, praise his, God's name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So if you're a Christian who believes that we can glorify God through music, you must also believe that dance is part of that expression of worship. It is. <laughs> well, and especially if you were having to wear sackcloth and you got to, you know, get into some nice co- cotton poly blend shirts that would, uh, That'd make me dance, I think. Mm -hmm. Although I guess they didn't have cotton poly, but anyway. Well, we also have Psalm 154, just as much a command as previously. Praise him. This is an imperative sentence with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. This is a present day command for God's people. I think it also applies to God's covenant people today. Well, and that gets to what Lacey said. It's dancing is part of it. It's not just because it doesn't say praise his name. Uh, you know, with tambourine or dance, no, but kind of at the, the same above. time, right? You can so that, see the that's image very here. Cool to, uh, that's very cool to hear this perspective. Is that the last verse we have, Lacey? I like this one too because it shows how that continues on into the future. Uh, it says, I, "Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers." And that's Jeremiah thirty-one four. Um, that is referencing the, the future of our world, and after um, God has redeemed it. 
So this continues to go forward. It's, there's never there's never a stop dancing. No, I don't. I don't see anything in scripture that says that there's a, a some sort of time limit on that. Nope. And and I don't encounter a lot of people who believe that dancing is evil. You know, we must forget uh, forbid fornication, lest it lead to dancing, as the cliche goes. Uh, I think more people are kind of like me, where we just don't quite understand point. why we should think about it. What what is the point? After all, we we've got sermons, we've got even music, we've got even books, even fiction. Uh, what hath dance to do with the kingdom? So, but your story, of course, is different when you started dancing yourself. Uh, yes, once I started dancing um, myself, I, I began to understand the joy that this brings, um, not only to me individually, but the edification it can bring to other Christians, whether uh, the context is um, dancing together in celebration or as um, uh, showing it and telling a story to edify the, edify the body the story of Christ himself. I will never forget the time that I was involved in a dance outreach, which that seems a little odd, but we were all dancers. And so the outreach we had was to dance. And so we went to a, a low income area and uh, did some performances. And uh, there was one woman who, after watching a dance that was in, that was showing the love of Christ for his church, uh, she just burst into tears and mm. said, I didn't think he could still love me like that. And it was just such an amazing moment that all of a sudden everything she thought um, she'd, she'd taught herself about God's love was shown to be untrue and through the power of dance. You can read scripture or a good nonfiction Christian book that's very biblical and you can hear about Christ's love for his church. But obviously Christ himself believed that the greatest way to show his love for his church was to die for his church. And even in the Bible, you have visual portrayals and symbols and poetry and all kinds of creative expressions to show Christ's love for his church. Okay, so let's, I want to hear more about this book that you guys have both read. How exactly did dancing control the world of this story world? Like what, what exactly did, does dancing do? In the, in the book, the, Order, the, as it's called, Capital is o. basically a, a big dance school, and they have the power. It's never explicitly mentioned how, but they have been given the power to control the world through dancing. This world floats along um, on an ocean, and they keep it fixed in place um, through constant dancing of very precise patterns um, and choreography. And not only do they keep the world in one place, but they can actually control the weather systems and uh, the growth of crops and that kind of thing, which is really fascinating. This is an island world. It is an island. Yes. So a floating island floating in the ocean. Right. Paralandra style. Yes. Yeah. And you know, when I was a kid, very different. When I was a kid, this is how I thought islands worked. They were just like, (laughs) same here. (laughs) And what they just, well, what are they? She actually to? took that to childhood belief and made it real, and it's actually very believable the way she describes it. So that it, sounds awesome. And, and it's not just that uh, these are, you know, the the order goes out and collects people who have natural talent. Right. Yes, they have some natural talent, but as in the real world, the training itself can get pretty hardcore. Very hardcore, the way she describes it. Um, they start very young and train for years and years and years before they're ever even allowed to think about 
becoming part of the group that controls everything. Uh, and then they have to audition even for that, um, which is uh, kind of, it's a very realistic thing. Even here in our world, dancers train from a very young age, put themselves through a lot just to be able to perform on stage. So Sharon Hink herself taught dance for many years. She was able to bring a lot of her experience to mm-hmm. bear in a way that would sail over my head and probably Zach's head as well when he reads it. But for you, you were picking up on those, not Easter eggs, but just a, uh, uh, a very intimate acquaintance with that kind of intense dance training. Absolutely. it's was very fun to read, um, partly because it made me feel um, feel like a dancer again. <laughs> uh, there, there were just little details, like uh, she would describe the way that her, the dancer's feet ached after a long day of rehearsal and just kind of made me feel phantom pains and sympathy. Um, there was, there's a moment where the dancer... The main character has not danced in a long time, and she her body feels it, and she has to go off and stretch, and um, that is a very dancer thing to do. If you haven't danced in a while, immediately feeling your body being out of training and going back and uh, stretching and doing some exercises to get that back. Well, there's also just the idea, and I did pick up on this, that there is, for some people, or if you've been raised a certain way, uh, and this can go in a very good direction or very bad direction, there's a comfort in this kind of training is a comfort in those strict patterns. You picked up on that even more. Yeah, absolutely. The strictness of the training is very reminiscent of ballet training, which has very traditional choreography and and everything that you, that you learn um, from very and and very basic things that you do from when you first start training all the way until you're professional. Those things are always the same and. That that I, I was feeling all of that through the whole thing, um, and that all becomes not just a comfort but a basis on which you you can dance everything from you know the mad woman to the mouse to the little girl. Um, all of that comes from those very basic patterns. Okay, so what was going wrong with dancing in this world? Without spoilers, of course. Well, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but then again, we have used words like control and manipulation, which are not nice words. That's true. So what has happened is because the dancers have so much power, they have consolidated all of that and become um, oppressive over the world. They've, they've taken complete control and are working to gain more control, not only over the natural world, but over the people who live there to the point where they're hurting people in order to get get what they think is necessary to continue this power um, and control over the world. So our main character begins to understand that very early on in the book and has to make some very painful and serious decisions about what she's going to do with that information. Well, what I enjoyed most here is that even as not someone who intuitively understands dance and has to work to appreciate it sometimes, this is where I could relate even more. Because even for non-dancers, the idea of a good gift of God that has been mm-hmm. corrupted by humans, you know, a good creative expression gone wrong because of idolatry, because of our, our craving for power and influence and absolute security in the familiar patterns and the training and the strictness. I could understand that. And I think a lot of people, Christians, can understand that. I, I Honestly, I don't think there's any Christian who would not be familiar with that experience. We've all encountered that kind of setting and we've all had to decide what are we going to do about this when we hold it up to the gospel and see the ways that Christ, while calling us to holiness and severe, uh, or at least very, very intense training, 
also calls us to freedom. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So the point of this book is, is it that dancing itself is evil? Oh, not at all. No. Um, I didn't think so. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have liked it book. at all if, if that had been the case. No. <laughs> uh, the point more is that dance along with anything else is a gift of God that can be used in uh, very wrong ways. And the way she... Um, creates a story that shows that and shows the main character's discovery of the freedom from that is really beautiful. So I, I assume that means, again, without spoilers, that there, there is some sort of redemption that happens to the dancing, like to the dancing power. Absolutely. Yes. That's, that's great. Cause that's a, to me, that's a much more interesting story than, you know, this thing is bad. Let's get rid of that thing. Or even then it's neutral. I mean, the story could have just proceeded as if dance were like any other magic system. But uh, Sharon Hink is after more than that. Uh, Because this is a very clearly Christian story, it's free. It is set free to then take those steps toward exploring through the story itself, both the fact that dancing is a creative expression from the creator, capital C, but... You mean in the book, there's a creator figure? There is okay. a Capital C, yes. And this is one of the freedoms of a Christian-made story that is excellently and beautifully done. So we not only answer that question, but in a, a really good story, a good and biblical answer will actually complicate things. That's not the ending of the book. We actually discover this fairly early. Don't mind spoiling that part. <laughs> but for Kalara and her allies, this actually makes things more complicated. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very complicated thing to have to think about then because then you start thinking of all of the activities in your own life that you enjoy and that um, can go good or can go wrong depending on how you approach them and how you approach God through them. So I like that. that this sounds like a much more complex story than I would have guessed at first. But I, I love this whole magic system of dancing, controlling nature, and that comes from something very deep and personal to her. So dancing is very important in my own family. My mother and her mother were part of, and, and my mom's sister, there, and my and my sister were all part of the um, like the dance team, the kick line <laughs> when they were in high school. So lots of pictures of that, lots of memories of that. Got to see my sister a lot do dance, and my sister has done a lot of other kinds of dance. My oldest daughter is in musical theater, um, and so she's learning all of that, singing and dancing and acting. My wife loves to go dancing with me. I, I wish I could say I go more often with her, but we actually, so do I. one of the first like ways we met was through a swing dancing event. And I've got some really good friends that they uh, did a swing dancing deal at the Olympics in Sydney. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you want to be good at dancing when you see people dancing. And when I was growing up, I, so I grew up in the world of MC Hammer. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to be the guy that could dance like MC Hammer. So when we had these middle school dances, of course, there was the really awkward, hey, will you dance with me? And you, you're you know, dancing around like zombies, like with your arms straight in front of each other. But then there was also just they'd play like the fun songs and then eventually they'd play MC Hammer. And I wanted to be the guy in the middle of the circle that everyone's cheering on because I could dance just like that guy oh, with the lights flashing yeah smoke billowing <laughs> oh yeah and you know i wanted to cool pants like that but 
They were such cool pants and you know, continue I, to be cool. I could never quite uh, get the rhythm, I guess. And so, but I, I think back to that, that I was really trying to control my world with that dance style that if I can be really cool, then people are going to think I'm, I'm cool. Like if I can be a good dancer, then people will think I'm cool and they'll want to be my friend. And so it's funny how it can turn into that. Uh, it, it can kind of go sideways mm-hmm. beyond something you just enjoy into something that you're trying to use. Yeah, exactly like they do in this story. Uh, whereas for me, I did not grow up cool like Zach. I, I grew up homeschooled. <laughs> Uh, the cool is still in there, uh, just with an H in the middle of the word. Uh, I was not taught of dance is evil. I'm, I'm sorry, folks with genuinely tragic Christian separatist community backstories. I, I don't feel that I had a similar experience, uh, except uh, there, were, there was a few books in the homeschooling culture that I remember uh, explicitly having a negative view toward dance. Uh, and it didn't even say dance is evil. It was just more of a, a chapter book for middle grade readers, uh, which was like kind of a historical biography, fictionalized type book, uh, where some, some characters in the pioneer school were doing a dance called the cakewalk, uh, which was apparently in vogue at the time. And, and then the, uh, the, the, the bearded elders very calmly, peaceably, but firmly descend and say, that's enough of this. And from there, I mean, I did absorb, I got this little meme. Oh, I guess, I guess dance is bad. How do we know the book said so? Now I didn't grow up thinking that I just grew up indifferent to the thing. Uh, just like, you know, playing poker or something. I just, I didn't, I didn't care. It was, it was outside of my radar. However, you know, not like I wasn't exposed to dance. There was dancing in movies, you know, some Fred Astaire movies here or there. We grew up loving singing in the rain, which has still to this day, some of the best dance performances ever. But even then, it probably got into my head, oh, dance is a secular thing. That's what they do in, in the movies. This is performance art, which, which it is, which it can be. So I didn't grow up thinking, oh, if I can learn to dance, I'll be cool. I'll be the center of the circle. But the other myth conception that I received about dance is that it is inherently romantic. If a man and a woman are dancing together, even if, you know, <laughs> he's, her, he's her daughter, or he's her daughter, he's her son, then... Well, isn't dancing romantic? Partner dancing, for sure, romantic. And so th- this has definitely been something that I have to work through. So, Stephen, did you kiss dancing goodbye? I did not kiss dancing goodbye. I'm, I'm still trying. I'm still. I, I was fixing to say. I'm still <laughs> attempting to kiss it hello. However, uh, even within the past couple of weeks, I, I've had a great and positive dance development simply because there is dancing at my brother's wedding uh, in Pennsylvania just a few days after Christmas, 2019. And they had an open dance floor, and it was so worldly. Now nobody was doing the, the you know, the, the the nasty dancing, the kind that we, we don't want done at a wedding anyway. But it, it was fun, you know. They were playing old songs and new songs, and you know, hip songs for hippin' and cats or whatever. And everybody, including my family members, were pitching in and just goofing off, and it was great fun, and it was just so wholesome and enjoyable, and the best kind of peer pressure. When my younger sisters are out there just enjoying themselves and not sitting on the sidelines thinking, I, I shan't do this. It is undignified. It is, un, it is not, not something that ought to be done. No, I, I joined in. I enjoyed it. Uh, all my family members at one point uh, were doing some kind of dancing, no matter how long or short or, or silly acting. Yeah, that, that's awesome when dance just becomes something fun that everyone's doing. And it's not, you know, it's not uh, 
like I said, my middle school experience where it's like this performance art to get something out of. It's just you're having fun. Um, I'll never forget, I went to this Persian New Year celebration. Uh, these Iranian students invited me. And in the middle of it, everyone just started dancing. I, I don't remember even what started it, but young and old, uh, men and women, and it just all in this big dance circle. And I, I'm like, oh, I'll try to do what they're doing, but I don't, I don't know if I can do it. And it was so interesting to me how integrated that was into their celebrations that it they didn't even think about it. It's just, oh, now it's time to dance. Well, see, I would have completely missed that cue. And I certainly would have never started that cue because depending on how your brain works, how your personality works, you're going to miss some social cues. And I miss a few every once in a while because especially in a setting like that, I can be a bit left-brained, you know, sit back in the corner, just kind of follow along with what everyone else is doing. You know, I think God has given people different gifts, different creative gifts, uh, and others are just simply better at it. And I, instead of, of seeing that as something to be feared and avoided, I think that as we mature, we can see that as a reflection of him. He's going to give some people talents and other people other kinds of talents. And even in the church, we see that some people are the hands and they're good at being hands. Some people are the ears. They're very good at listening. And then other people get all the feet. feet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, finish my sentence for me. And I, I'm not natively, intuitively the feet, but I can appreciate those who are and try to join in and keep up and not step on anyone's toes. Um, Lacey, you said earlier that the book doesn't just reflect Christian legalism, but you know, stress and manipulation and other things that can happen in the art world. Absolutely. Um, the order itself is actually incredibly secular. Um, so it's a legalism um, that's very familiar in today's society uh, that happens. Art is very powerful, and people who, um, who rise to power in the art world are, are just like anyone else. That can, they can use that power for very wrong ways, whether it's in a small school or in a large company, um, playing you know, favorites with the newest student or using your influence over in a whole, whole city to promote wrong ideas or push our, our, the artists themselves, the dancers themselves into unhealthy mental and physical states. Um, that's very, very common uh, in, in, in the art world. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons Christians tend to forego dance and, um, and other forms of art. Uh, it's a scary place to be. Um, it's got a lot of power and we, it being in that you're always right on the edge of falling off. So it's very interesting. Um, in the book, the, the order is very powerful. The leader's really do believe that they're doing this for a great cause, but um, they've become blinded by the power that they have. Uh, and seeing the main character, Clara, reach out beyond that and find uh, the true meaning and the true use for dance is uh, very inspiring. So, oh, the, okay. So that, just to go back to something you said, this order, even though there's a creator in the story world, mm -hmm. the order is not serving the creator no they're kind of doing their own thing they, they are doing their own thing in fact they ah. completely reject the idea that there is a creator oh so this is the paradox if you have yes. a, a a group an institution that does not believe in the creator but uh, is very legalistic about dance uh -huh. and so and just in case anyone has the idea you know because of their own background that if you get out of christianity or get out of a particular denomination then you're safe from that legalism from the church back home Unfortunately, this is a very human tendency to use any good gift for power and control and manipulation. 
That's very interesting. Yeah, legalism is part of the human condition. It's not part of a religion. It can be part of anything. Let's talk about the cultural mandate, Stephen. Oh, I love the cultural mandate. You've kind of touched on this a little bit, so tell me what that is. Absolutely. And it's another reason why I personally love this book so much is that uh, unlike treating a, a magic system or even an expression of creativity as, as just a given, something neutral, uh, Sharon Hink had a little bit more in mind uh, than that. And again, no spoilers, but when Christians look at something like stories or like dance or worship, technological development, any good cultural pursuit we see these as a gift of God, or we should see these as a gift of God before we start talking about how people can corrupt them with our idolatry and our desire for absolute security apart from God's promises. But you can't understand that these are gifts from God until you start understanding the bigger biblical idea that God has made humans to be creative in his image. The cultural mandate, that phrase is a a, a term coined by theologians to reflect the big idea found in Genesis 128. That's where God tells people, be fruitful and multiply. Paraphrasing here, fill the earth, subdue the earth, that is, steward the earth. Take the things that I've given you in creation and do the remix. You can then take the metals in the ground and you can make tools and instruments and eventually technology, semiconductors, microchips, That's what we're doing now. We would have done that if we had just kept on going from the Garden of Eden and made cities amongst the garden. Of course, a little thing called the fall got in the way. But before we speak of the fall, we have to understand this is a created good. Adam and Eve and their children, if they had never fallen, would have danced. They would have just discovered it somehow, naturally. They would have discovered music and storytelling. They would have done more with science and the classification of the animals' names. Those cultural forms are, are very good things, and we have to see that as, as something that is part of being human. It's not something we just use to cope with the fallen world. It's something that we once did perfectly, or we would have once done perfectly, that we can do to the glory of God in limited ways now in a world that groans under the influence of sin, and I believe it is something that we will be doing in the future after Christ return, returns for eternity. And even in the Bible now, you have, even in Genesis, after the fall, you see little, uh, little hints that man's cultures would continue, did continue to make amazing cultures. You've got a reference to a people who made uh, lots of instruments and music. And to me, when I read that, I think, what did we lose? Because that mention is there, presumably preserved through historical record, a very scant historical record. Any other records were lost in the flood. Why would God include these histories in there? I think it's a reminder of that lost world. All that music and dancing and art was lost because of sin. We will continue to make new ones, but hopefully we can, we can keep those. It would be really nice if we could, if, if these things do glorify God. Well, it, it seems from reading Revelation that we're going to be singing and dancing in heaven and on the new earth. And thank goodness, because... So uh, I keep thinking of this one story from about a year ago. I got to be at this event where two girls from India got up on stage and they had, I'm going to, I can't say this name right, but they had the, the, the typical cultural outfit you would think of in very colorful designs, lots of jewelry, um, bracelets, rings, earrings, and some makeup. It was very beautiful outfits. And then they just started dancing 
I had no idea. You know, I couldn't understand the music when they were singing. I didn't recognize the tune. I, I didn't know what was going on. And there was no explanation. But then after about a minute, I realized, oh my goodness, this is the story of the passion. Oh, Th- this wow. is the, wow. the, the arrest, the trial, the, cruci- the whipping, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. And it was all through dance. They weren't speaking or singing, I they take weren't, it. Nothing, there That's was no amazing. explanation. Yeah. And there was literally not a dry eye in the room. And they explained afterwards that we are from our people. We belong to our community, but we belong to Jesus now too. And oh my goodness, it, it was the, one of the most powerful things I've seen in my entire life. And it was such a great picture of how culture is a good thing that God had in mind that will exist for eternity in the new earth. And I, I just, I hope I get to see more of that in my life. Well, I hope so too. I have no doubt that the best dances that worship God, whether or not we're overtly portraying uh, a biblical event, especially you know the journey of Christ, the best dances are ahead of us in the future. Although, surely we'll have some of the, the best, most skillful performances done here, even in a sinful age. Yeah. And I hope that some of those will be preserved as well. I just remembered it's called Bharat Natyam. I'm, again, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. But we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put the link. I hope there is MC Hammer dancing in heaven and that I can actually be good at it. <laughs> we'll just clean up any lyrics there. Sure. We have an eternity to practice. So <laughs> there we go. But you know, speaking of cleaning up lyrics, I mean, that, that is why any creative expression is so challenging now because we, we're not in the Garden of Eden. We've lost our innocence in Adam and Eve. We are fallen. And Christians, even though we're being redeemed and have been redeemed, will still struggle with that sin nature, which also includes either the creation of legalistic environments, some of which will, uh, will you know, frown upon dance or have frowned upon dance in, in the past. And, and then from those, you know, some, some of us may wake up and realize, hey, uh, all that stuff that I didn't grow up with, that was, that was good. It was good all along. And the temptation there is to just uh, presume that it's therefore untainted. It's somehow sacred just by existing. Well, I think it's a baby step in the right direction to realize that we shouldn't have banned that stuff just because people can abuse that stuff for evil purposes. But we, we have to run the whole way if we're growing in that direction. Mixing my metaphors here, but we can't accept the notion of it's all evil, but we also have to get past the, the, the silly overcorrective of, of presuming it's all good. You have to get to that biblical concept that redeeming those gifts in Christ is a process. We're going to continue struggling with idolatry, especially for those who don't know Christ. There are going to be sinful excesses, even in that you know that strict training, uh, which still bothers me. By the way, you know that people can injure themselves, but then again, you know I'm not not a very sportsy type person as well as not being a dance type person. So part of that is just you know my my cultural limitation. Either way, man, we'll keep corrupting those gifts, but in Christ, I think we can start redeeming them. And then we just wait until Jesus gets back, and then they, all of those good gifts will be perfectly redeemed. I love how Sharon Hink hints, hints at that future restoration in uh, Hidden Current. Again, no spoilers. So where can we read more about this book? Uh, we do the full review in uh, the fall 2019 issue of Lorehaven Magazine. Uh, that's available if you go to lorehaven.com. We put the subscribe option right there on the front page. Subscription is free. It is a digital magazine you can get as a web page form or a PDF download. 
You can access the complete cover story about all the good stuff that Enclave Publishing is doing. They are a publisher of Christian fantasy and sci-fi. And per our previous discussion, Zach, when we say Christian, we mean Christians made it. Uh, some stories are more direct about the uh, the gospel content, and then others are a little bit more subtle. I would say that uh, that Sharon is uh, definitely a little bit more in the uh, uh, the o- overt direction without compromising the creative excellence of the story. Well, if you are just joining us on this podcast for this episode, we would love for you to subscribe and join us for the next one. But please tell a friend and just celebrate with us that there are so many amazing stories written by Christians in these fantastical genres that give you amazing places and people to explore. So thank you so much for joining us. And we also have the uh, the website where we share articles every weekday. You can join the conversation whether or not you're subscribed. And uh, even since that fall 2019 issue, uh, we have a new issue out. Uh, that's where we interviewed uh, Patrick W. Carr, the author of the first book we discussed on the podcast back in episode one. So subscribe to that. Again, that is free. You get reviews every single issue of these amazing stories by Christian authors, uh, including Hidden Current. Uh, in our next episode, by the way, uh, we're going to talk about the top 10 articles at uh, that blog in 2019. And what that says about Christian fans. What are we interested in talking about? What are some of the older topics that just won't go away? Why does Ted Chang keep <laughs> appearing in the speculative faith blog search results? I'm still trying to figure that out. That's on our next episode, episode four. By the way, Lacey, thank you so much for joining us for this fun and festivity. Uh, it's been great having you here, uh, not just because you're my one true love, but because you know great things about dance. You keep teaching me about the goodness of dance, and I want to have you back, uh, even if we're talking about things that are not all about dance. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. Absolutely. Godspeed, and thank you all so much for joining us to seek and find fantastical truth. Fantastical truth.